You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello and welcome to the 42 Cast, your ultimate answer for fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I am your host, Nathan, and this time we have a bit of a treat as far as the topic, because we're going to be talking about the very popular franchise, Star Trek. But before we get into that, let's meet our cast for this week. And starting up is somebody that you're going to hear a lot of over the coming months, because she is going to be my co-host as we talk about Star Trek and every series in the franchise, and that is my friend Stephanie. How are you doing, Stephanie? Well, no, I'm put on the spot here because I feel like I already answered it. Uh, (laughs) I am doing well, thank you. Now that we have our audio issues worked out, they're not my fault, and you're actually recording this time, we're doing good. Yeah. For those listening at home, we've, we're having a lot of issues with the podcast today. It's probably, I don't know, it's, it's, it's the cursed podcast is what it's going to be. But we've had audio issues, we've had feedback issues, we've had recording issues. So uh, if this podcast at all makes any sense to you listening to it, then that means that I did a great editing job. And we're only three <laughs> minutes in. I know. <laughs> so Stephanie... It's probably yes. been like six months since you've been on the show, so anything new and exciting happened in all that time? I guess the most new and exciting is I got a new position at work that I could help to develop myself. I'm now the quality analyst, which means when I sent out an email this week where I misspelled typo, well, actually, I had a typo. <laughs> <laughs> so when I sent out an email this week where I misspelled Wednesday, um, I certainly have not heard the end of that all week. Uh. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, being a quality analyst and then sending something out with a typo in it. that That's that's just a recipe for constant teething from everybody. <laughs> right. Oh, well, at least you didn't fall up any stairs, right? <laughs> Not this week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, anything else going on? Oh, not really. Okay. Well, it is good to have you on the show, and it is good to uh, have you as my co-host as we go through Star Trek. I am excited. All right. Live long and prosper, dude. That's right. <laughs> Bill and Ted's excellent Star Trek adventure. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, so next up, he is a guy who is an expert on movies. He will tell you about all the stuff going on in the cinema, and that is my buddy Michael Faulkner. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing good. I swear I'm giving her all she's got. I just can't change the laws of Skype physics. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. We've gone through dozens of engineers, and it's still this way, so it's not your fault at all, Mike. So, um, Michael, it's probably been a year since you've been on the show, so so what's been going on? Oh, has that been that long already? Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> wow. Uh, still keeping on, keeping on, really. I mean, uh, the biggest thing is just the, the timestamps project, which we had talked about a year ago. I have progressed to the uh, the Sixth Doctors era now. I'm actually in the middle of the trial of Time Lord as we're recording this, so I made a ton of progress since we talked last. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been an interesting journey. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy reading the timestamps weekly, as you know. Yeah, I am just so surprised at how much of a nosedive it's it's kind of taken with this new doctor. <laughs> just, mm. Everyone warned me. <laughs> yeah, there was a reason it was put on hiatus. <laughs> <laughs> but but to be fair, and this is something that I need, feel like I need to say every time everyone talks about the sixth doctor, is that Colin Baker is not the problem. Colin right. Baker played the character the way he was told to play it. And when the show was put on hiatus, he worked steadily for 18 months to try to get the show back on air and eventually succeeded. So Colin Baker's a great guy. I've met him, you know, and with Big Finish, they've kind of rehabilitated rehabilitated the character of his doctor. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a shame that uh, he's, he's been kind of burdened with these episodes. Yeah, and I... I, you know, kind of the behind the scenes thing there with, with some of the comments that come in, they're like, well, Colin Baker's a great guy. How can you, you know, how can you say such bad things about, I'm like, I'm not talking bad about the actor. I'm, mm. I'm sure he's a wonderful person. It's just his doctor that just, <laughs> <laughs> I can't stand that character. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I yeah. <laughs> I will recommend that when you get to the end of the TV stories, when you've when you've caught up, that you listen to some Big Finish, yep. because uh, you, I think you will get a different perspective on the Sixth Doctor from Big Finish. But certainly, the television episodes are are not the best. No. All right. Well, uh, anything else uh, that you want to talk about? No, I think it's. Uh just been keeping with you know tradition of just doing what i do so yeah all right cool deal it's good to have you back on michael uh, it's good to be here thanks for having me all right, no problem all right and finally is a new person for the 42 cast he is someone that i met through sean castic he is a guy that loves star trek and in fact i think i met him because of a star trek episode and that is my friend jay how are you doing jay I'm doing fantastic. I believe it was a Star Trek podcast that we did a while back, a long time ago. Oh, yeah. This must be five, six years ago. Yeah. That was way back. Yeah. <laughs> My fandom hasn't waned. <laughs> yeah. You, me, Bill, and Sean, I think. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. We talked for a long time on that one. Uh, oh, yeah. I <laughs> yeah. I think it had to be split into two episodes because of how long we were talking. Yeah, did somebody fall asleep in that one? I can't. No, remember. that was the DS9 one. <laughs> okay. That was when yeah, it was Yumi, Gary, and Sean. And yeah, we we that one was split into three episodes. Yeah. He fell asleep. Yeah, he um it was like ten o'clock at night or something, and he actually there suddenly started hearing snoring. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. Podcast history, right there. Right, I know. And so I thought Sean was going to cut it out, but he didn't. (laughs) (laughs) This is pretty funny. Yeah. In in all my years of doing this, I have never had someone fall asleep in a podcast. That is that is amazing. (laughs) To be fair, we were on hour three. (laughs) (laughs) We were going pretty long, man. Yeah, because when we were talking DS Nine, we were talking all of DS (laughs) Nine. But, uh, Jay, so, uh, since this is your first episode, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself? Uh, well, yeah, I was on Sean Castic. I would just be a, a kind of a guest on there from time to time. 
I'm here in the Atlanta, Georgia area. Um, a little bit about me. I have uh, twin boys, and uh, well, I'm I'm into uh, running and martial arts at the moment, and just living life, having a good time. Cool. Now, would you say Star Trek is your primary fandom, or do you have a, another fandom that you would say is your primary? It really competes with Ninja Turtles. Ah. Uh. <laughs> Sounds funny, but... They, you know, there is a crossover. If you can find the toys, there is the uh, turtles mixed, or, or were they uh, dressed like the, the Star Trek in the, sorry, were they dressed like the original series characters? And uh, those are old, if you can find them. They're, they're all over eBay, but that's huh. a crossover that's pretty cool. I've never heard of that before. So who is each of the turtles? Who, who do they dress as? So Leo was, was Kirk, mm-hmm. and Michelangelo was Scotty. And I be- Don Fellow was was uh, uh, Spock, and I cannot remember who Raphael was. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Raphael, he always gets the short end of the stick. I think on that one he did. And they were like, "Who else would be? Who else could he be? <laughs> was he Bones? I don't remember. He could be Bones." <laughs> yeah, Bones doesn't suit his personality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think they ran out of personalities on that one. <laughs> yeah. Just throwing them out there. We got the leader. We got. We're good. <laughs> right. So Stephanie, now now I'm curious just because I, I suddenly had the ideas connected in my head of turtles dressing as as uh, Star Trek characters. Have you ever done a Star Trek cosplay? I have the fabric and patterns for numerous. I just haven't actually done any of them yet. Yeah, I, I didn't think I'd ever seen a, a Star Trek cosplay from you. Now so, here's okay. the funny thing is that I'm much more into Star Trek than I am into Star Wars. And mm-hmm. Tim, my boyfriend, for people who don't know, he is much more into Star Wars than he is into Star Trek. I have cosplayed from Star Wars. He has cosplayed from Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) It's a divided household. Yeah. One of these days, we'll we'll each cosplay from the right fandom for the person. (laughs) Throw them all for a loop and cosplay as Delenn from Babylon 5. Oh, I also have that planned. Um, (laughs) Delenn and Ivanova. Oh, awesome. Yeah. You know my love of Ivanova. Mm -hmm. Ivanova is God. Right. She said so herself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and one day we'll do that Babylon 5 podcast, and that'll be like your Deep Space Nine one where you just kept talking and someone eventually <laughs> fell asleep. And it'll just be you and me, and, right. and no one else will have any idea what we're talking about. Right. <laughs> it is so hard to find people who watch Babylon 5. But yeah, you, well, you know when we're going to have the Babylon 5 podcast, Stephanie. When? When you finish Crusade. Give me a date and I'll have Crusade finish. <laughs> well, uh, I, it'll be after the Star Trek stuff, okay. so it'll be a while. But yeah, I'll let you know. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Jay, I'm sorry that we kind of preempted you there, but uh, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> but it is good to have you on the show finally. Yeah, yeah, and I will defend much of Star Trek. I'm not afraid to defend. Motion picture or Enterprise? Bring it on. Ooh. Hey, I'm right there with you for most of Enterprise. <laughs> and most of the motion picture, actually. It's really good when you fast forward through all the special effects. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> all right. So before we get into our topic, I think something that's new for everybody on the podcast, which we, we retired five questions because Jennifer Hartshorn cursed the podcast and five questions became increasingly longer with every episode. So I decided that it was no longer serving its purpose to sort of loosen us up before our topic. So our new segment is 
uh, five minute controversies. And so I figured kind of topical to what we're going to talk about, but still kind of on a tangent, that I was going to talk about fan films. Now, Star Trek Paramount released some guidelines last year, maybe the year before, about uh, fan films, what they could or couldn't do. They were very restrictive. Now, I realize that they have every legal right to do what they want to do, but my question to our audience today is, first, do you have you seen any Star Trek fan films? And second of all, do you feel like Paramount is shooting themselves in the foot by doing this? Or do you think that this is something where they're keeping their brand from being diluted or, or harmed in some way? So, Michael, why don't we start with you? Uh, yes, I have seen some of the fan films. I'm of the opinion that uh, I wasn't too impressed by a lot of them. Some of them, like Star Trek Continues, you know, the it's more of a series, more of an episodic thing, and it and it captures the spirit a bit more. But I feel like a lot of the a lot of their fan films kind of go, you know, way off course, you know, with what they're trying to do. And I play both sides of the fence when it comes to those restrictions. I because I, I'm a big Star Wars fan, and Lucasfilm, you know, pre Disney buyout was really big in embracing the fan community with the fan films. You know, they even got to the point of holding fan film awards to honor the best ones that, that capture the spirit of Star Wars the best. But I, I understand why Paramount decided to do what they did because of, of stuff like Axonar, where you know, you've got somebody who's manipulating the system, kind of, where, you know, depending on who you believe in, in the controversy, may have been making money off this kind of thing. He's bringing in all these actors who were there previously. He's trying to build it into canon, you know, and it's, it's almost competing with CBS and Paramount, especially where they're trying to get, you know, Discovery off the ground and where they're trying to do the motion picture stuff with, you know, the, the new Enterprise crew. You know, if they just didn't want that on, on top of all that. So it's, it's kind of, if it, if it remained true to, you know, the spirit of fan films, I think it'd be one thing. But when you actually start trying to make an a money-making enterprise out of it, it, it starts really towing that line a little too much no pun intended right 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 <laughs> <laughs> money making enterprise wah, 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 wah. all right <laughs> so uh, jay what about you so to be honest i haven't watched many of the fan films uh, much like michael i'd say i'd seen a little i've only only seen a little bit of uh, star trek continues not that i followed it or anything to me i can kind of see the argument on both sides a little bit much and I, I don't want to keep repeating what Mike said, but I can see like where fans want to be, they want to show their fandom, you know? But obviously, because it's a brand, it's a franchise, you can't make money off of it. The, there are rights involved, you know? There is money involved, there are crews involved, people who, who work on, on the franchise and things like that. So I can kind of see both sides to it. But then again, too, like, you know, the owners of the franchise, they have a right to protect their brand. And uh, not every fan will enjoy it. We, we know that. <laughs> but it would be cool if, if maybe there was a way they could embrace it a little bit more. And mm, but I don't know. It, it's such a, it's such a, a tightrope. You know, when you're dealing with with legalities and ownership of, of a brand and things like that. To be honest, maybe I, I wonder how many of the fans who want to be involved with fan films, sometimes how much they really know about the rights and ownership of it. And they just want to they just want to continue. They're just such rabid fans. They want to do something, you know, with Trek because they're not getting what they want out of it from the companies that own it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So they want to put their stamp on it. But at the same time, 
the owners have a right to protect their brand. It's it's a tightrope, you know, is the way I see it. Sure. Um, Stephanie, what about you? Well, the only thing I can say I've seen for Star Trek fan films is anything with Seth MacFarlane's name on it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is kind of like that. Is it? And yet, even though it's probably the biggest competition for Star Trek, it's the one that they're not touching legally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've never really gotten into any of the Star Trek fan films or anything like that. That's always been something that I've really more so gone to for Star Wars versus Star Trek. Really, I didn't even know there was much going on with that until you, Nathan, started posting about that type of stuff on Facebook a few months ago, a year ago, whenever Paramount did that, or CBS did it, whoever, I don't know. I was only half paying attention to it. But, I mean... Kind of along the lines of what everybody else said, it's kind of a double-edged sword. You've got to protect your rights and your licensing components, but at the same time, you get some great stuff from fan productions. I mean, Troops is probably still the best Star Wars fan film I have ever seen. And it's just short and stupid, and I love it. But it brought an element of comedy and a, uh alternate view as to what really happened with <laughs> Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen that one. I love that one. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I don't really have much to say in terms of the Star Trek-specific universe in this one, since that's an area of the fandom I've personally never really delved into. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think that you need to have seen Star Trek fan films to comment on it in general terms, but, yeah, I, I think for me, because I've been watching fan films since I was fairly young. First one I ever saw, I was probably like 11 or 12, it was called Star Trek The Pepsi Generation, <laughs> which was hilarious. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's, I've always seen fan films as a celebration of the property. And I really think Axanar has ruined it for everybody because I don't think if you look at any other Star Trek fan film, that you would have any issue or you could or you could really say that anyone's going to be confused and think that it is a Viacom, CBS, Paramount, whatever you want to call it, you know, as far as the owner company production. You know, it's clear that it's a fan film. It's clear that it's something that isn't considered canon. Axanar, because of the big budget that was going with it, the fact that they were kind of milking the crowdsourcing to get state, like stages built and stuff that they were going to then use for other projects, which kind of made it like they were making a profit off of it, which is what you're not supposed to do with a fan film. That I completely, that I agree with 100%. Oh, yeah. Fan film, if you're making money off of somebody else's property, that is not acceptable. Um, you know, uh, people deserve you know, licensing for their properties that they agree to, uh, to letting you license it. So yeah, I, I, and that's the thing. And that's what hurts because I do like Star Trek continues. I like Star Trek fan films. I think that by hitting everybody with this, it's a bit, it's, I, I think in that way, Paramount has kind of shot themselves in the foot. Cause I think it generated a lot of negative publicity. I believe a cat has interjected into the conversation. She's poor fan films. <laughs> and the greatest thing is, is that cat's name is Neelix. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, go back to the kitchen, Neelix. But, um, yeah. 
but yeah, so so yeah, I mean, I was upset about this when it was originally announced because, like I say, I, I think that the majority of projects would be fine. I, I've, I've heard that part of the reason Paramount did this is that made it that it easier for them to go after Axanar, but I really wish they had just targeted Axanar specifically because, yeah, I mean, it does does look like they were making money off of it, which is the thing where I can totally see their point of view on that. But anyway, yeah, it's 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 sad I think because uh, you know I mean it, it does limit what fans can do, but you know. We'll, we'll see. I mean, CBS is at least making new Star Trek content these days, so in that way, it's not as bad as, you know, it was when we didn't really have anything new coming out. Yeah. But, alright, so yeah, I, I I think that there, I think that we kind of said all that we can about that one. Looks like we kind of came down in the middle road. <laughs> Which is fine. We don't need to be polarized on these. And, uh, so yeah, now we're going to take a break for a promo from another fine podcast. Hey, pardon interruption, but do you want to learn more about love, lust, sex, anger, happiness, music, time, space, and the human race? I hope you do, because I'm here to beg you to listen to Soul Forge Podcast. We're your weekly dose of life and living here on the ESO Network. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts and soulforgepodcast.com. A proud partner of the Rusted Robot Podcast here on the ESO Network. Let's find out together. Space, a final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. And we're back. So, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, we are going to be talking about Star Trek this week. And I am going to do what I always forget to do, which is to put a spoiler warning (laughs) on the episode. We are not going to set out to talk in depth about every series of Star Trek, but there will definitely be some incidental spoilers as part of the discussion, I'm fairly sure. So, if you're listening to this and you're afraid of getting some information about any Star Trek show that you haven't seen, then you should probably pause this one, come back to it later. But yeah, other than that, let's dive into the topic right now. So, Michael, can you describe to everybody what Star Trek is? How long do as we a, have? As a franchise. <laughs> <laughs> in, in the beginning. The... <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, back in, in the 1960s, about 1966, a man named Gene Roddenberry had an idea about a science fiction television series he wanted to create, and it was called Star Trek. And basically, it was his idea was uh, a wagon train to the stars, where he had uh, a starship filled with a crew of people from, from Earth and one Vulcan who wanted to go out and, and explore to boldly go where no man has gone before 
to bring the ideals of a, a federation, a, basically a human utopia to the people of the galaxy and you know, basically spread the word of peace and of, of harmony and diversity and that kind of thing. And uh, it ran for three seasons. It got canceled. It came back as a, an animated series. Uh, the fans really took off and said, this thing is amazing. Most of the fans actually came from syndication runs later on. Uh, it spawned to date like 13 movies and I think six or seven spinoff series. And it's just been going for well over 50 years. Yeah, I wanted now. to do this one at the 50th anniversary and uh, we're actually on 52 years. Yeah. Now, which is amazing to think about <laughs> how long this property. I mean, other than Doctor Who, I don't know of anything else that's lasted as long as this has. Yeah, I think. Uh, without all the hiatuses, The Simpsons might run as long as all the Star Treks and all the Doctor Whos. But <laughs> well, it definitely doesn't run as long as all the Doctor Who if you ran it continuously. But yeah, it's it's getting there. But Star Trek's always had a lot of buzz around it, even when there hasn't been a show. I mean, the first fan conventions came out of Star Trek. The first organized fan fiction came out of Star Trek. I mean, Star Trek has spawned so many geeky things just coming out of it. So many of the ways that we express ourselves and, and come together and whatnot. So, you know, it's just really impressive on that standpoint. But one thing that I wanted to know from everybody is how you got into Star Trek. So, Jay, why don't we start with you on that one? Uh, well, well, I remember it coming on the Sci-Fi Channel when I was a kid. Year when Sci-Fi Channel would show just reruns of old Sci-Fi shows from the sixties. Mm-hmm. Back when it actually showed Sci-Fi. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know somehow James Bond is Sci-Fi now on there. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, it used to it used to rerun on there, and I would watch it. And I wouldn't even say I was like an avid fan. It was just on, you know. Mm-hmm. I remember Next Generation. It, it was it was just on, and you watched it. And back then, I wouldn't say I was like a, like a, a rabid fan or I was collecting things or I was following storylines or anything like that. I was just watching it. You know, it was something everybody watched because it was on TV and there weren't a gazillion channels at the time. So you would watch reruns or you would watch, you know, Next Generation, which ran in syndication and stuff. I'll admit I fell off after I didn't really watch it in my teen years and stuff like that. And then later on, would re-wa- I rewatched it as I got older and rewatched like the original series and Next Gen and Deep Space and all that. So, but yeah, you know, this started fairly young, but but it was kind of like it was just on. It wasn't like a thing. It was just it was just there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And a few years back, you started a rewatch of everything, right? I did. I'd, I'll be honest. I didn't make it all the way through Voyager. <laughs> 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 I attempted, but I did rewatch everything else. Uh, Next Gen, original series, all the movies, Enterprise, so Deep Space Nine, I watched them all. But, you know, it gets hard to do when you have kids now <laughs> to rewatch no, everything. <laughs> so you got to take it in bits and pieces. Animated series I've seen most of. All, that's another one I haven't seen. Every, I can't say I've seen every single episode of it. That's one I try to watch with the kids. Amazingly enough, they told me this is too old. <laughs> they'll watch the original series which is kind of funny they'll watch they're actually kind of they'll sit there and watch it they'll tune out here and there but but they're more into it than than the, than the cartoon series yeah well the animation is very primitive on it so i i kind of get that it's it's visually less interesting than the show even though the animated show is is more recent uh, yeah. <laughs> than the original series. So. And the, the funny thing about that, too, is the critics of, the, of each of the time periods, they, they said that the original series was geared more toward kids 
and the animated series is actually more geared toward adults. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe they got it right. <laughs> uh, I'm not so sure about that, but that's a discussion for another day. I'm not going to get that deep into the minutiae. What do critics know, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> they they find Spock very interesting for you know, and I think that's a big appeal. Is you know, Spock is to even like you know, as an adult, you can ad- identify with him, and that's that's pretty amazing that a character can can kind of cross over can be adults are into them teenagers can be into them a lot of people can identify with them and then you know my kids are young they were like three and four when we started watching it and they know who spock is and they know he's an alien and that's that's they think that's cool you know yeah no i've had a similar experience with my kids where my daughter my oldest daughter instantly gravitated towards spock mm-hmm. even years ago and now i've been re-watching the entire original series rather than just watching them when they come on cable. And so both my kids are kind of sort of half watching them with me. I, yeah. I find that my oldest, she's 10 now, she actually, even though she's supposedly playing her iPad, she has it down more than, you know, it, and is looking at the TV screen more than not, you know, yeah. when the episodes are on, even though she says she doesn't really like the show that much. Sorry, I'm surprised. <laughs> right. I know your daughter. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. But, you know, my little one also, uh, you know, pays attention a little bit. And so, you know, yeah, it's I, I think there's an appeal there. I mean, it's the original series, you know, but but even now, 50 some odd years later, it's there's still something interesting mm-hmm. for kids. And, and yeah, my oldest, she loves Spock. She was like, Spock's such a know-it-all. I really like him. <laughs> <laughs> that also doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I totally get where you're coming from on that one. So Stephanie, what about you? What is your what is your Star Trek origin story? I don't even know. <laughs> Seriously, Star Trek has just always been a thing for me. Uh-huh. My grandparents were into it. Both sides of my grandparents, my dad's side and my mom's side, my parents were into it. I've just always had Star Trek. I cannot remember a time where I didn't remember liking Star Trek. Hmm. Now, was that next gen or was that both? (laughs) One of my earliest memories, though, does involve sitting in the living room with my parents watching Next Generation. For some reason, sitting underneath the dining room table. But I was like, I don't know, four years old at the time. So that's what kids do, I guess. (laughs) But I do remember sitting under the table one night watching Next Gen as it was on with my parents. I'd watch the original movies all the time with my uh, my mom's parents, and all the time when we went out to Detroit to visit my dad's family, there'd be Star Trek involved there, and I just seriously always grew up with it. When Mattel released Star Trek Barbie and Ken, that was right before I, I got old enough to understand the difference between a play toy and a collectible toy, <laughs> Yeah. and Star Trek Ken became my favorite Ken doll. Mm. And I played with him all the time, and Barbie kissed him so much, her lips started wearing off. (laughs) (laughs) But, Nathan, you'll find this quite amusing, is because I was this weirdo girl who was really into sci-fi, I could never play my Barbie stories with any of my girlfriends, because none of them understood it. (laughs) So when I played with my girlfriends, it was the usual, like, real-life type drama. But when I was playing with my own dolls, it was always sci-fi somehow related or stuff like that. And Star Trek Ken was actually Captain Sheridan in Babylon 5 a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I 
feel kind of bad for Sheridan. Because I only had a Starfleet uniform for Ken. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'd have my own weird stories. Sometimes they were purely Star Trek stories with my Barbie dolls. Sometimes they were Babylon 5. Sometimes they were crossovers between other sci-fis or even those ones. Yeah. Uh, None of my girlfriends understood my Barbie games, so that was a little sad. Now, when when other Star Treks came out, because when you were growing up, Next Gen was new, you know, original series was already out. So, like, when DS9, Voyager, all those came out, did you jump into those as they were coming? All except DS9, and admittedly, that was because I uh, was a little late to watching it right away. And by the time I really got around to acknowledging its existence, I was already a Babylon 5 fangirl. (laughs) And I was only, like, 10, 11 years old, I don't remember exactly. And I had it in my mind that, no, this is Star Trek ripping off my Babylon 5. <laughs> yeah, that, that whole debate will go on forever in fan circles of who ripped off who. And there's plenty of evidence to suggest that they both ripped off each other. Oh yeah, they're totally right. But I love them both now. I have since gotten over that. Um, when DS9 was finally done and it was in syndication is when I finally rewatched it as a, an actual teenager. And I was like, actually, this isn't that bad. And I now objectively say that DS9 is the best of the Star Treks. It's not my favorite, but I think it's the best. But yeah, so DS9 is the only one that I wasn't really into while it was airing. And that was just because I was a little kid who couldn't separate the two fandoms. And was like, no, Babylon <laughs> 5 is better, damn it. <laughs> and didn't it take you a while to get into Enterprise, too? Yes, Enterprise, I, I I was really excited for. And I remember, actually, my high school boyfriend, I'm like, come over and let's watch the, the premiere of Enterprise together. And he's just like, oh, okay. Um, and eventually I ended up rage quitting that show. And I only just recently finally rewatched all the way through. And oh, I, by the time it was over, I was really upset because they finally found their track and they started doing really good and then they got canceled because it was too little too late. Oh, I have some passionate thoughts on Enterprise, so I look forward to that that podcast because <laughs> well, I will be good. raging against it, and then I'll suddenly switch gears and be raging for it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that sounds exciting and a little bit schizophrenic. <laughs> but <laughs> Oh, and so, and so you said DS9 wasn't your favorite. What is your favorite? Uh, Next Generation, all the way. I just got the Blu-ray collection for my birthday uh, this week, actually. So, yay! Awesome. Next Gen, I actually... My dad's parents, way back when, when VHS tapes were a thing, they were subscribed to the Paramount VHS Club. So they got, like, uh, a tape a week or a month, I don't know. Had to have been a week, otherwise it would have taken forever. Um, (laughs) And so they had the entire Next Gen, two episodes per tape. So it was, like, 90 tapes or something like that. And they gave those all to me. And for years straight, every night before I went to bed, I'd always pop in one of those tapes. And I would just watch Next Gen continuously on repeat, watching just one of those tapes every night before bed. And if I fell asleep during it, I'd start that episode over the next night. And like when you and I met, I was probably still doing that. (laughs) Because I only got rid of those tapes when my parents and I moved to the house that you know they currently live in. Right, right. It was only, what, eight years ago that they moved? Nine years ago? Mm Mm-hmm. Holy crap, we've known each other long enough for me to say that. Yeah, yeah, all right, here's the, this is, this will scare you. Do do you know what year we met? 
Isn't it like 2005? It was 2005, yeah. That was 13 years ago. Yes, it was. Holy <laughs> moly. <laughs> yeah, we're old. Yeah. So. so, yeah, now that I have it on Blu-ray, I'm half tempted to hook up a TV and a Blu-ray player in my bedroom and make Tim suffer my old nightly ritual of Star Trek. <laughs> there you go. Well, you need to start rewatching anyway. Yeah, I know I do. But first, I should probably do TOS. Right. Yes. I had that on Blu-ray. <laughs> so that's been fun. We've got them all that are on Blu-ray. But uh, yeah, I will say this. I know that there is some controversy around the new effects that they've done for the original series. The really great thing about the Blu-rays is they let you turn those on or off. So if anyone's hesitant to get the Blu-rays because they want to watch the show um, with the original effects, don't worry, they give you both versions. Oh, now Disney needs to do that with Star Wars, and I think we'd all be happy. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a little bit more, though, because there are extra scenes and stuff, so it takes a little more work to have both versions on the same disc. But yeah, and no, I totally get you, get though. Get hating Christensen at the end of All right, all right. All right, we're not going to get into the Star Wars podcast. It's another podcast. We'll get there. <laughs> but uh, just really quick, Jay, because I forgot to ask you, do you have a favorite Star Trek? Ooh, it's it's a toss-up. I like original series and Enterprise. Okay. It's, it's depending on which day of the week you ask me. <laughs> okay, no, that's fair. All right, so Michael, what about you? How did you get into Star Trek? It was my parents, honestly. My dad said that that was... Among other things, we watched like uh, Lost in Space, and then later on the Batman '66 uh, show. Those were his his things growing up, and so we would spend uh, Saturday and Sunday mornings watching the reruns, those back to back Lost in Space and Star Trek: The Original Series uh, when I was growing up, and it just kind of it really stuck with me. Uh, my my parents never really got beyond the Kirk, Spock, McCoy era. You know, when they'd watch all the the six movies that that came out, and they watched the the original series when it was on, but you know. They left Next Gen and DS9 and everything else up to me to watch. And so that really became, you know, more of my Star Trek when that was that was on the air. Uh, I actually barely caught up with, with Next Gen around the fourth or fifth season and then uh, started watching DS9 from there. It was just a straight shot through as they, they had that record long, you know, production mm -hmm. that they had. And honestly, that's about when DS9 became my, my favorite series because it the original series and Next Gen had their had the morals and messages and meanings they kept bringing to it, but DS9 took the opportunity to kind of get more gritty and kind mm -hmm. of show where the, the holes were, where the cracks were. And I really love, you know, when when shows do that, when they're like, okay, here's our ideal, and now we're going to step back a little bit and show you, okay, what happens if we don't reach that, that goal exactly? All right, cool, yeah. I don't know if my parents were the first ones to turn me on to it. I, I guess they must have. But like Stephanie, I don't even remember when I first started watching Star Trek. I, I know it was the original series because I remember when Next Gen started and I remember being excited about it. But the original series was on syndication and on our local television station every weekday. And so I must have been at least three, possibly even younger, the first time I saw Star Trek. Because like I say, I don't even remember when the first time was. And so for there were years of just watching those same, I think, 79 episodes over and over again. And then when Next Gen came out, being very excited about the new content, and that is the one thing that I have really happy memories about, is that with Next Gen, that was like an all-family viewing kind of thing. It was a show that we would just get together as a family for probably the first four seasons. We sat down and watched together as things got kind of onwards, and 
my parents kind of dropped out in interest. My brothers kind of dropped out in interest. I kept following it. But yeah, I uh, went through all uh, D- DS9. I went through Voyager as much as I could. And the reason why I say that is because my local area didn't have a UPN station. So when they went from the syndicated Next Gen and DS9 to Voyager, which was a UPN network show, for the first few years, the UPN let other networks buy their shows if there wasn't a UPN station in the area. So I saw the first three seasons of Voyager um, because my local CBS station bought those episodes. But then starting uh, in their fourth year, UPN stopped allowing that. They said that if somebody was going to get their shows, they had to become a UPN affiliate. And so once that happened, I was kind of cut off for years. And so it was something like, I don't know, it was, I guess that was 98. And then I probably didn't see the rest of Voyager until like 2005, 2006, somewhere like that. So it was like eight years of me wondering what happened. (laughs) You know, kind of funny with that. I remember when that UPN thing happened in Milwaukee. Uh, We only lost it for one year. Mm. And my grandparents out in Detroit, they would record the episode. Then they'd mail it out to me on a VHS tape every two weeks. So I'd have two episodes to watch. And then one of my sixth grade teachers, she was huge into Star Trek. And she was so upset that we couldn't watch Voyager. So after I finished the tape, I would give it to her. (laughs) (laughs) And so twice a month, I got a tape from my grandparents that I would watch and that I'd send over to my teacher so she could watch it. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, it was it was just so upsetting. I mean, because I and of course, you know, the cliffhanger that they left me on was the one where the the species whatever they're called four five two one whatever yeah eight whatever they are they they were blowing up the Borg left and right and was like holy god you know what is going on here and it's like to be continued and I never got to see that for like eight years oh, you know man. the second part so <laughs> that was painful. Yeah, so uh, I did, because, uh, you know, I wanted to see the rest of that, uh, so as soon as they started releasing DVD sets, I snapped those up so that I could finally finish the show. <laughs> and like Stephanie, I wasn't, I kind of rage quit Enterprise. <laughs> I tried, I, I did, because by that point, my cable had added a UPN station, even though there wasn't a local one, so I was able to watch Enterprise on cable, but yeah, I just didn't care for it. Do you remember what episode made you rage quit? Because I do. I, I don't remember if it was a specific episode. It was more of like I had started college. And <laughs> so it was kind of like I just kind of because I didn't find the show engaging, I kind of just dropped off. And then once I realized that, you know, it's been like four weeks and I haven't watched one, I was just kind of like, you know, I don't really want to watch one. And then I just kind of like stopped. See, for me, it was when they introduced the Borg, and I'm like, that's it, I'm done, continuity destroyed! <laughs> I didn't even make it that far. I was, it was in the first season, but just never got me excited about it. So, the fun thing for this Star Trek, I don't know, a series of podcasts we're going to do, is that I am going to watch Enterprise all the way through for the first time. See, I just did that, like, two years ago, and... I got to the point of the Borg episode, and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to rage quit this time. It's not as bad as teenage me made it out to be, but it was still pretty bad. And then the next episode, T'Pol goes into Ponfar, and they just make horny T'Pol trying to mount everything, and I almost rage quit again. It's funny, Stephanie, because I actually tried dipping back into it with the third season. And then I saw that garbage, and then, like, the next couple of episodes were, like, Voyager ripoff episodes, and so then I dropped off again. That actually made me rage quit. 
<laughs> so I was like, I've seen this already. So, yeah. But I am going to watch it all because everybody says the fourth season is good, you know, and I do want to, you know, be a, I am a completionist at heart. So I am going to, to give Enterprise its fair shake now that I can really devote the time to it. So we'll see. And you <laughs> we'll and I will have goes. lots of talking in between there before we do the podcast. So. <laughs> yes. But all right. Yeah. So I just wanted to know where everybody was coming from with Star Trek. You know, it's 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 always interesting to me because it is such a big show, but everybody comes to it from a different you know perspective. I mean, some of us were kids. I mean, Jay, you kind of were a kid when you watched, but you that wasn't really when when it grabbed you. It grabbed you much later in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, when you came back to it, and so you know, it, it seems like every time I talk to people about Star Trek, it's a different way. Uh, a lot of people my age came to it from Next Gen, but then there are people like Michael, who I believe is is almost the same age as me. You know, we watched original series first. I watched them simultaneously, as far as I can remember. Mm. Yeah, so I, I'm just going to throw this one out here. Star Trek, it's been around for 52 years. Why is it still around? Because fans are obsessive. <laughs> <laughs> but if that was true... Because, okay, so, so say, uh, we, like, for instance, Lost in Space is getting a revival, but there's been, you know, 50 years in between when they had one movie that they attempted to do, mm-hmm. and there's absolutely nothing. Star Trek hasn't been like that. Star Trek's had an active community, even when there wasn't a show, and there's been lots of shows and movies in between. So what makes Star Trek different from other properties? I have an idea here. And it's part of what makes me both excited and concerned about Discovery. Star Trek, it, at least from what I've noticed, and I watch a lot of sci-fi, I read a lot of sci-fi, it's one of my favorite genres, Star Trek always kind of had its own unique feel in the sci-fi genre for the sheer fact that Roddenberry did want it to be the better aspects of humanity overcame our worse aspects. And so even when we have shows like Deep Space Nine that people did complain, oh, it's too dark, it's too gritty, Roddenberry would have hated this, it still (laughs) showcased humanity as trying to be the best that we can be. Whereas other sci-fi usually just delve into either some dystopia or the we get into the mirror universe all the time type (laughs) deal, where humanity is at its worst. And... I think that that might be one of the reasons why Star Trek has managed to hold such a dear place in so many people's hearts, because it shows us what humans could be and what I think all of us deep down want to be. And as much as I really have enjoyed Discovery, I'm a little worried because that mindset is missing. And it's a really good, solid sci-fi, in my opinion, but it's not a really good, solid Star Trek if that makes, I'm sure that makes sense to you guys, since we're all Star Trek fans here. Well, it's one of these things that gets bandied about a a lot of, you know, defining what is Star Trek. And so Mm -hmm. that's why I kind of wanted everybody's opinion on it, because Star Trek, you know, used to be just one series. And so a lot of people felt like that series is Star Trek. And you see with Next Gen, where a lot of the early episodes of Next Gen actually try to copy specific episodes from the original series and just kind of do a more modern version of them. But as Star Trek has expanded, as it's added more series, there's been more, you know, I mean, the DS9, the, the Kelvin movies, you know, Discovery, all of this. And so people start saying, this isn't Star Trek, this is Star Trek. 
And so I'm kind of curious, you know, what elements we can sort of boil it down to other than just a, a title, obviously, that, you know, makes something Star Trek. What is the thing that attracts people to it? And... You know, I mean, yeah, kind of a side point, I guess, is, is whether certain series we feel don't fit into the mold. But I kind of want to just concentrate right now on on what do we feel is, you know, what is what is the thing that hooks people on Star Trek? I think a lot of it is is that same, you know, the image of, of what we can be. And it brings a message to people that it, that is different as as we evolve. I mean, we're mm-hmm. definitely different than, than we were in the 60s. And we're definitely different than we were in the 80s. So that's why, you know, DS9 and Voyager and Discovery can talk to people, you know, in different ways than they did back with the original series or Next Gen. I I look at a lot of people who say this, you know, this one thing isn't Star Trek because Roddenberry wouldn't approve. And I say, okay, well, Roddenberry didn't approve starting with Star Trek 2. Yeah. Right. You know, he didn't approve starting with with Next Generation Season 3. You know, he was gone by then. You know, Star Trek evolved beyond him to the point where, you know, he he had a, a... a creative consultant role, but it wasn't like a, a day-to-day hands-on kind of role. Yeah, it, it, Star Trek brings us a message, and it usually is the message we need to hear at that certain time. And where it failed was, you know, around the time of Enterprise and Nemesis, where and, and into Voyager, where it it failed to evolve enough. It just wanted to stick with that time time proven you know pattern, and it didn't change enough to capture people. And so that's when it it all fell apart. Hmm. Jay, do you have any ideas about why people gravitate to Star Trek? I think it has a lot to do with everything everybody else said. That's that's all uh, completely true. But I think the characters do touch a lot of people. Like I said, you know, a lot of people gravitate to Spock. Maybe because they kind of see a little bit of themselves in there, or maybe they see a little bit of themselves as Kirk. They want to be the hero or something. But others are like maybe more reserved, so they gravitate to Spock. But even then, not just those characters, but even the characters going back to the original series, seeing you know women in different roles that weren't uh, typical at the show for the shows of that time, and even going into Next Gen, and you know a lot of people fail to forget that Voyager did have a woman captain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not maybe fail to forget, but that was a big deal at the time. You know, there weren't many women leading a television show at the time, and I and I know I said Especially I've never. Made it. Right, I never made it all the way through it, but I do respect that that they, you know, they they took a chance. They took a chance and made a show. And it went seven seasons, whether you liked it or not. <laughs> it went seven seasons. You know, that's a long time for a show, even by today's standards. By then, it was even long. So I think people have have always gravitated toward, towards those characters. They can see them for you know all their faults and all their their glory. And they see them in, in a sci-fi show that, that usually represents something of the time, but something better, you know, that you can always improve, you can always do better, but you can always get back up. You know, like in DS9, you saw a lot of faults with Cisco and, and all the characters in there. They, none of the characters seem to get out of there clean, you know, they all had some dirt on them at the end of that show. <laughs> so everybody can identify with that. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that you brought up there, talking about Spock and, uh, you know, sort of generalizing that to, you know, Worf in the later series. And, you know, Star Trek has always sort of embraced the idea of uh, being the outsider and showcasing things through the outsider's point of view, which I think is another thing. I mean, it's kind of the same reason why I think X-Men is very popular is because it's about, hey, it's okay to be different. 
you know, not done in a very overt, heavy-handed manner, but just kind of showcasing mm-hmm. through the fact that we have these alien beings and they are with us and what do they add to us and how do we affect them and, you know, things like that, I think is one of those themes in Star Trek that, you know, because everybody feels like an outsider at some point. Right. You know, even the most popular people in the world feel like an outsider at some point in their lives. And they're always always made sure to point out that even though, like, Spock being an outsider or Worf being an outsider, they had internal struggles as mm-hmm. well. Even if you're not much of an outsider, everybody has that, has that feeling of internal struggle and that, you know, it's, it's, it's tough or something's hard. And everybody comes to that at some point, you know, whether you deal with it on a daily basis or you deal with it, you know, from a time to time, everybody can identify with that, you know. And while somebody like Spock is such a popular character, he had so many struggles throughout the course of, you know, the life of the character. Just on screen, when you get into the books, you get even further. But, you know, there's always that internal struggle that I think a lot of people just, just immediately identify with, whether consciously or subconsciously. Yeah. I, I, another thing, though, that I think that makes Star Trek distinct is that most sci-fi shows that you see, they tend to be very action-oriented. And mm-hmm. while Star Trek can be that way, even in the original series, I believe that as the series started, certainly the earlier shows more so, you know, Star Trek used to be a far more cerebral, or, you know, in general is a more cerebral franchise than a lot of other sci-fi series. There's a lot of thinking, there's a lot of tactics, there's a lot of discussion of things. Like, you know, like, I love the Corbomite Maneuver which is a story that's, you know, basically about trying to play a game of poker, you know, quote-unquote, in sort of a general way with with a, a new alien that they've discovered. And so there's a lot of literary references. There's just a lot of, you know, it, 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 it operates on a, on a fairly intelligent level uh, while also having that action and whatnot that, that people can, you know, even young people can really uh, engage with. So, you know, it's one of the reasons why the Kelvin movies, to me, kind of felt, you know, I got into that kind of, well, it's not really like Star Trek, is it? Because Kelvin and the Kelvin movies felt to me very much like a Star Wars movie or something of that nature, where it's very much an action adventure, but it's not very cerebral. And so I, I think that that's something that excites people, too. I, I think because it is a thinking show... And I think that's why a lot of scholarly people have gotten interested in Star Trek is because of that aspect. Yeah, I think a lot of that's the reason why people identify with Spock so well, too, because he was he was the face of that cerebral, intellectual feeling of the show, you know, of, of the triumvirate that that run the Enterprise. You know, he is the logical one. And I think that's a lot of the reason why I, I don't know about anybody else, but there there are two distinct periods of time where I was reduced to tears by Star Trek. The first was when Leonard Nimoy passed. And the second yeah. was when when we got word in Star Trek Beyond that he, the character Spock had died. Yeah, and I, at both times I was just like in tears. I was I was ugly crying, you know. <laughs> yeah, me too. Leonard Nimoy was one of the first celebrity deaths that just rendered me a crying baby. Yeah, yeah. I'm not normally affected by celebrity deaths, but I mean, it definitely speaks to the show and to his character uh, in particular. That I mean, it it floored me. When Leonard Nimoy died, like I couldn't do anything more at work that day. I hope nobody that I work with listens to me, but <laughs> I just kind of sat at my desk for the rest of that day, 
you know, kind of like just thinking, I mean, it, it was, it was like someone, like a family member had died, you know, I mean, it was, it just kind of made me feel empty inside, you know, and, and it was difficult because especially with the fact that I don't get to go to, to a super large number of cons, but you know, you always have in the back of my head, you know, one day I'm going to meet Leonard, you know, he'll be close, he'll be in Chicago or something. I'll meet him you know, something like that. And, and, you know, just knowing that I'll never meet him and, you know, just thinking that you have the loss of, of him and, you know, just all the time. I mean, we would see him on commercials and stuff, you know, he was, he was part of the fan community, he was part of our lives in a way. And so it's just, I don't know, it just felt awful to know that I would never again see him in anything new and would never have a chance to meet him in person. I felt the same way. I was totally devastated when I found out he passed. Yeah. Okay, so we've kind of talked about, you know, what, you know, what, what excites people to Star Trek. You know, has, I see, I've never even been to a Star Trek specific con. Have any of you guys been to a Star Trek specific con? One day. <laughs> okay. No, I can't say that I have. I've, only, I've really only gone to Dragon Con down here in Atlanta, but there's plenty of Star Trek to do there. <laughs> right, yeah. They have a the whole track for it. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, never, never a, a Trek Con itself. I do want to go to to Vegas at some point, but uh, yeah, just just Dragon Con, going on the Trek track for a little bit, and and seeing what that's all about is the closest I've gotten. Yeah, because like I was t- talking about before, I mean Star Trek, it spawned that. I mean, does anyone know of any other series, fran- like, I guess genre franchise that had conventions before Star Trek did? No, Trek was among the first. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure Trek was the first, at least in the U.S. Yeah. Well, and I think, yeah, even with England, because England didn't have Doctor Who cons until the early 80s. I mean, there were fan conventions, but not one specific mm-hmm. that I can think of. And one of the amazing things about the fan community that often gets overlooked, I think, and I, I probably gravitate more towards this being me than the three of you, for reasons that will become apparent in a moment, is that women were heavily involved in keeping that fandom going and driving those conventions and that's just to me being a woman who's grown up often being teased for being into these boyish geeky things which i'm so glad is not as heavily uh stereotyped for young girls now finding out how huge women were in developing this fandom and developing things like the the whole fan fiction with star trek and developing the conventions and the costuming and all that type of stuff that just is really kind of awesome and i don't think it gets noticed quite as often as it should no no and that's entirely true because yeah i mean i as you were saying that it's like yeah i think women were the huge movers and shakers in that fan fiction movement they also invented slash fiction I actually had a friend when I was in college who was doing her master's thesis on uh, slash fiction. And so she traced it back to Star Trek. So, <laughs> Yep. I have definitely heard that before. <laughs> right. So I know this to be a fact, but yeah, so we have to take the good with the bad. But uh... <laughs> I mean, it makes it really ironic, too, when you think about it. I mean, going back to that discussion we had a year ago about uh, is fandom broken? I mean, women are the are the saviors of Trek. They brought it back. They spearheaded all this stuff. And then you get to Voyager, like, woman can't be captain. Are you serious? <sighs> it's just like the fandom becomes its worst enemy at that point. And meanwhile, mm-hmm. you know, most of us are like, come on, put a woman in the captain's chair. <laughs> right. 
Well, yeah, and I mean, we talked about it a little bit, uh, but I I think we should really kind of focus on the fact that from the very beginning, I mean, baked into Star Trek's DNA, you know, if you watch that original pilot with Captain Pike, there's a lot of women in the show. Uh I mean, you know, the the first officer is a woman, you know, and uh, it's it surprised me as an because a lot of these things because I saw them as a kid. When I watched them again as an adult, I'm kind of surprised by the things that you know, as a kid that I just didn't notice, like weren't like big deals to me or whatever. And that was one of the things that jumped out at me like really strongly is it's like, there, there are a lot of women and, and they're dressed like actually practically in that first pilot. Yeah, yeah in the first pilot. You're right. <laughs> they're wearing pants. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Then you get to the the actual show and it's ultra mini skirts, but... Right. And, and from what I understand, that was a network thing that they basically told him that he shouldn't have women so prominent. Or as a friend of mine uh, told me, and I don't have this researched myself, but this is the story that I've heard. He he was basically told he could either have Spock or the female first officer, and he felt that having the alien was more important to showcasing, you know, what he was trying to do with the show as far as, you know, making science fiction, but also showing the outsider and whatnot, so he he went with Spock, but, you know, I mean, that's, that's, it's sad that they did that, but at the same time, in the, you know, in the series that we got, the show is far more racially diverse than that original pilot, where everybody was pretty much white, but there's just a lot of women that shouldn't be kind of glossed over either. They, they had a Japanese guy, you know, yeah. on, on the bridge. They had a black woman on the, the first regular black woman TV role. Mm-hmm. The first interracial kiss between Uhura and Kirk. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I mean, they were testing the boundaries of what people would accept from the very the beginning. I was not very happy about that kiss either. And they, sabotaged all the other takes so that they had to use that take Mm -hmm. i don't remember the details of what that was but i remember that like shatner intentionally was sabotaging the the takes where he doesn't kiss ahura that the network wanted that he he was making goofy faces or something like that i don't know exactly that's that's right it was goofy faces yeah Yeah, so that he had so that the network had no choice but to use the one where they actually kissed which is kind of awesome that the cast themselves were that feeling of what they needed to do for this. Yeah, and they the feeling actually got out to the fans too because there are actually letters that you know that were published later on that you know they you get some some people from you know like the South or whatever else who would would not want to see that interracial kiss on TV and they're like you know it's just it just stands in front of everything I want to see on TV but you got Captain Kirk and you got Uhura in his arms I mean who am I to argue? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely been some history made at that you know at that time which you know it doesn't it doesn't seem like today like if you showed it to somebody today they wouldn't blink an eye but of course you got to put it in the perspective of the times you know at, the, at that time that was historic and it shouldn't you're right it shouldn't be glossed over that kind of thing yeah i mean uh i, I believe that this is something that i've heard <laughs> i hope i'm not making this up I think Michelle Nichols said at one point that she wanted to leave the show because Uhura's role wasn't really that big, right? There wasn't a whole lot to do with it. And I believe Dr. Martin Luther King talked to her and told her, no, that you've got to stay. I've heard that numerous times, too. Yeah. Yeah. But she was an inspiration to his kids. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, again, I mean, it talks about the fact that, you know, and, and, and you hear the stories of fans who grew up watching the show. And who talk about, you know, hey, I saw somebody looking like me on the bridge of the Enterprise. 
mm-hmm. inspiring people that hey this isn't something where only you know white men can succeed at science or you know uh, things of that nature you know uh, anyone can yeah. and while Chekhov had the ridiculous accent Sulu <laughs> didn't right. which was a huge thing for a uh, Asian character in general in a big production like that back then to not have some stereotypical accent he didn't have the accent he wasn't the the stereotypical yellow menace he wasn't the enemy well not only that he what i really liked what they did is that he wasn't just a japanese trope so like for instance when he gets the you know the virus that makes them you know removes all his inhibitions he's not running around with a katana pretending he's a samurai he's yeah yeah, he's got a fencing (laughs) foil and pretending he's a pirate you know i mean and so i liked that i liked the fact that they kind of showed that in the future you know, these arbitrary sort of distinctions and whatnot on, on culture and whatnot are kind of washed away that, you know, Sulu can like pirates and, you know, and fencing and, you know, somebody else can like, you know, whatever culture they like, you know. And so I, I thought that that was a, a really subtle but nice, you know, sort of message in that story as well. So we talked a little bit about what is Star Trek? You know, I talked about that the the Kelvin movies for me kind of made me take a stop back and and sort of evaluate, you know, like, oh, is is this Star Trek? You know, I mean, obviously it has characters that I recognize as being from Star Trek, but uh, it just didn't feel that same until the third one. I will say this, Star Trek Beyond was was cerebral in that Trekish way that I mm-hmm. uh, that I'm used to. And it was the worst advertised of all of them. Oh God, yeah, that's that trailer was such a lie. But, <laughs> but in a good way. <laughs> yeah, it made us all think it was going to be crap. It was the only one I didn't see in theaters. And then I was disappointed that I didn't see it in theaters. I saw it the last week before they took it out. And it was only because there was a event that my kids were going to where they were going to have other adult supervision. My wife and I were like, we can go, you know, watch the movie really quick and then come back and pick up the kids. So we did it. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, oh, wow, I'm really glad I did this because I like this the best out of all of them. (laughs) So um, have any of you, the rest of you had moments like that? Have you had to evaluate sort of like whether or not something feels like Trek to you? Yeah, Discovery. <laughs> I watched the first couple episodes, and it's just really, it didn't, and I'm willing to give it another chance. Um, I'm just not willing to pay, and I know it sounds silly, like CBS the $6 when you pay $10 for Netflix or 15 for HBO or whatnot. But it just feels like such a, for one, I don't feel like I'm getting like a lot out of CBS just because I'm paying 6 bucks for it to get one show. And when I can catch it when it comes out on DVD or, or Blu-ray or whatnot, or maybe it pops up on Netflix later on. But it seems like it was really trying very hard to hit a lot of notes. And maybe pe- I, I can see how people, because I didn't watch Enterprise during its first run, but I can see how people who maybe were watching Star Trek all the way through, watching Voyager all the way through, and then they get to Enterprise, and they're, they're maybe just, either one, they're burnt out, or they feel like this is trying too hard, and it felt like Discovery was really trying very hard to prove that it's, this is Star Trek, guys, this is, we gotcha, you know? See, I got the I got different the- opinion from the first two episodes, that it was trying hard to be like, yeah, we're Star Trek, but we're different Trek! And I gotta say that the episodes after that, because I was really unimpressed by the pilot of Discovery. Yeah. And the episodes that follow it, I think are substantially better. Okay. Yes, that is fair. I I haven't seen them, so. (laughs) 
I love Discovery. I, I watch having watched the the season all the way through. It, it does pay off, I think, quite nicely. I do too. Uh, but yeah, they that was the biggest fail that they had with that was leading with those two episodes that. Number one, they let, they led with half of the the premiere on national television, so they were like, "Oh, so hook you in." Well, that half was not enough to hook a lot of people. Mm-hmm. The second part was that those two those two episodes together are essentially the prologue to what the rest of the season is all about, and they and- they should have played them later on, or or you know cut them into pieces and made them flashbacks or something because it just it wasn't enough. And it's a completely different feel than the rest of the show, too. Yes. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I can respect that it takes a lot to get a show off the ground. It takes a lot of, of work and, and production to get something moving, you know, just to get a, something shot or an idea across. And I just feel like, well, Star Trek, you, you have all this history. You have a lot of people who a lot of feedback from fans is, is so readily available. I just felt like after all this time without a show and you had the movies, you know, the, mo- the new movies out there. And this is what you lead with. It was kind of like, uh, I don't know. I, I didn't feel it right away. You know, I, was like, I really wanted that feeling of like, yeah, it's back. This is awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm in, you know. And I just, as much as I tried, I just couldn't get that feeling of that this was. And maybe you're right. Maybe it does pay off in the end and it's a slow burn or something. But as much buildup as they built for that, I was kind of like a little bit let down by it. About midway through the season, I was starting to get anxious for, yay, it's Sunday night, I can watch the next episode. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it did take a little while to get to that point. I'd actually be be interested in how it plays for you later. It it, it almost feels like it was written not as a a week-to-week series like the previous series have been. It almost felt like it was written in the same vein as something like you know the Marvel Netflix series, where you can sit down and burn through all 13 hours in one day, because that's what it's designed to do. <laughs> yeah, it I, really yeah. is. I, I wonder, see, I wonder I how it'll play for you. If you're going to do that, do that, though. Like, put them all out there, and then I can kind of like, you know what I mean? Like, I felt like if you... But they were trying to just do it week to week, right? I mean, yeah. that's how the show was, but... but. I, I think your point there, Michael, is real good, because it's a network, or it's a Netflix series everywhere else in the world. Right. Yes. <laughs> I will say this though um, about Discovery because CBS at f- for a while was sort of putting out there that oh we know that people are going to try to like just buy a month of CBS All Access and binge watch the whole show and drop it so we're going to do something like just have a few episodes out there at a time so that people can't do that but they didn't do that if you sign up for it right now all the episodes are there so you can buy, buy just one month binge watch the show and then drop yep. it yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, if people are on the fence about Discovery and are, are worried about having to make a, a big investment, there really isn't one. Or you can just wait for when they do one of their promotions for a month free and get their go. free <laughs> month and then binge watch the show. So yeah. I do encourage people to give the show a try. I do too. But Michael, uh, did you ever have a moment where you sort of questioned something new that was coming out from Star Trek on whether or not it was it was Star Trek? You know, I'll, I'll toss the obvious one out there first, uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. Mm. Yeah, that it was a good movie until it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And about the time it wasn't was when they tried to do the Wrath of Khan. Right. And I was like, and, and, and I wasn't upset that they were redoing the Wrath of Khan necessarily. It was, I was upset that this crew had not earned that moment. Mm-hmm. Right, because it, even even an hour and a half, two hours earlier, Kirk is actually throwing racial insults at Spock. Mm-hmm. They, they are not functioning on that level. Nope. And then they get to that point and it's like, 
I've always considered you my friend. It's like, no, no, you haven't. I was here two hours ago. (laughs) The less obvious one is one when I think back on it. I think about Voyager. And I enjoyed Voyager when it was running. I understand that it was really super safe, but that was also the problem I saw with it because I saw Battlestar Galactica after that. And you watch four, four years of Battlestar Galactica and you see how you know, there are fractures in that crew. They're still going to our common cause. The ship itself just gets decimated, you know, from, from the pilot where it's pristine to the last episode where it is completely beat to crap. And Voyager, the crew has resolved all their differences in one or two episodes. Hey, we're one happy family. And, and somehow sh- Seven and Chakotay are a thing. Right. And, that makes no sense whatsoever. And then you look at Voyager itself. They start out the, the, the series saying, we don't have enough supplies, enough torpedoes, no shuttlecraft, we don't have enough food, that kind of thing. And by the end, the ship is in the exact same condition as when it left Earth. It's in better condition, actually. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, Battlestar Galactica is the Voyager I expected to see. But instead, I got this, okay, a nice play, say for seven years. And it, that started to really make me question as to what direction Trek was going in. Yeah, and I think that that kind of speaks to what Jay was talking about, because I think there's this struggle between making the show for fans who are established fans and making the show different to attract new people. And I think Voyager's probably where the fractures started happening, but I don't think we saw it very strongly until Enterprise. Because with Enterprise was where they kind of said, okay, well, we're going to set this back 100 years before the original track, but at the same time, we're not going to really be continuity bound. And if we just decide that we want, you know, things to be one way or the other, we're just going to do it and not worry about things that they might have said in the original series and stuff like that. And for a while, you know, they didn't have Star Trek on the title originally, and they said this is a show we're making for a new audience. But then when they didn't attract that new audience, suddenly the word Star Trek got back in the title (laughs) and they started, you know, referencing more of things that were already established in Star Trek canon and such. So it's one of those weird dichotomies to me. And do we think that there's a way, because it it seems like every Trek since Enterprise, whether it's the Kelvin movies, whether it's Discovery, it seems like every time there's this huge debate in the fan community over whether or not it's Star Trek, you know? And there are people who say, I, I can't take this. This is just too too different. And so is there a way to reconcile the need to please fans and the need to attract new people into the franchise? No. Okay. No. <laughs> it's tough. It's, it's, so much of that is the passion that, these, that Star Trek fans have because it, it speaks to us on such a deep and emotional and almost visceral primal level you know because mm. it is talking about the human condition all the time and so when something new comes out i mean we're if we're you're asking us to change and we're like no i like this message don't don't change it on me yeah and admittedly that was my fear with discovery i was really apprehensive about it mm-hmm. and the more and more i saw about it the more and more i was like well, well, what are you doing to to my star trek <laughs> <laughs> you were like already prejudging it before. yeah and then i saw the and first you can't help episodes, it and i was just like what have you done to my star trek and seriously, I, I really did enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It's a very solid sci-fi. It, it still is the question to me. It doesn't quite feel like a Star Trek entirely yet, but they ended it in a way I think they could definitely grab that feeling back. But I'm also, the more and more I think about Discovery, the more and more I wonder if I really want it to go that route. But I mean, spoiler warning here, <laughs> uh, 
Oh, crap. Jay, you said you haven't seen past. It's okay. So I'm not Stick that your hot. fingers in your ears and go, la, 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 la. <laughs> <laughs> Because they end it with them running into the Enterprise and uh, Captain Blake. So it, it's like there's all of a sudden a very concrete melding of the two Star Treks that we have right now, where we have the more utopian version, and then we have this very war-ridden, you've got a member of the Mirror Universe who was just commissioned by Starfleet themselves to do a very not Starfleet-y thing. <laughs> and you've got her free and running around. And we're just now joining into Commander Pike, our very first introduction to Star Trek. And so part of me is still just as anxious of season two as, oh God, what are you going to do with my Captain Pike? <laughs> <laughs> and, but some of me is also like, well, this could be really interesting now to see how that's going. And I completely lost my point here as I started getting excited <laughs> about discovery. <laughs> I think that I should point out, to me at least, there's a difference between when they don't follow the series continuity and when they don't follow what I feel like is the sort of tone of the franchise. Because... Like, for instance, Enterprise, it bothered me how much that they sort of fell away from the continuity of the series, but I don't think Enterprise tonally didn't feel like the Star Treks that had come before. I think it very much had that same sort of feeling oh, yeah. that the older the older Treks had. As you get through it in your rewatch, too, you'll see they actually do kind of fix some of the continuity things. Not all of them, but some of them do get fixed, and some of them in really interesting ways. And I think Enterprise had the most brilliant retcon ever for how they explain the Klingons. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually know about that one because a friend okay. of mine told me. But... Um, <laughs> but yeah i mean with with um with discovery and with the kelvin movies i do feel like it's more of a of a a tonal issue even though Mm -hmm. there are also some continuity issues with discovery but we'll get into that with the discovery podcast but star trek beyond though to me is the one and i don't know how fans feel about it in general because I think by that point, a lot of the people who were turned off by the Kelvin movies just didn't tune in to watch it. Well, it also had terrible advertising. Yeah. And I feel like Star Trek Beyond does kind of meld that need to look at the past. I mean, heck, they were referencing Enterprise in Star Trek Beyond with the mm-hmm. uh, NX-style mm-hmm. ships and, and you know things oh, like I that. Oh, I totally fangirled with the NX <laughs> reference. <Right. laughs> yeah. But it was also, you know continuing what they were doing with the kelvin movies you know it was star trek for the new generation it was you know a much more pacey action-oriented kind of show but somehow it worked on both levels which is why i absolutely love that movie me too so i I think there is a way to do it i I think that there is a way to meld the fandoms and, and fix it but right now yeah it's kind of a it, it, I see some of the stuff like Michael's talked about with what you know, seeing people comment on Discovery, and you know, it's not my Star Trek and stuff like that. I've seen some conversations people have been part of, and it's just like, it, I don't know. It, it just frustrates because a lot of times the reasons that people give for it just seem kind of like, you know, they're not well thought out. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, I know I keep saying Babylon Five, but it's driving me nuts how often in that Babylon Five group you and I are both in, Nathan. How often people are like, oh my god, Discovery sucks, so let's talk Babylon 5! <laughs> like, what? Right. Well, and the other thing is, a lot of people say these things without really giving them a shot. 
you know, and, and, and that bothers me a lot. It's like, you know, if you watch something and you decide you don't like it, you want to stop watching it, that's fine. But don't say it's awful when you just saw that premiere on, on CBS mm-hmm. and you judged the whole show. <laughs> you know, exactly. by I didn't go off on anything like that. I just, because sure. I, I don't really have time for that. <laughs> right, it didn't inspire you to watch more, but you're not saying it's the worst thing ever. No, no. And, and you know, I think, too, the thing is with, with something like Star Trek, a franchise that that's, that's as old as it is, to keep it fresh, to keep it new, and to keep your old fans engaged and, your, and try to get new fans, it's, it, it, again, I'll say it's a tightrope. And you're, you're walking such a tightrope because you're never going to please everyone who, who started out at the beginning or came in in the middle or even who came in you know, just recently. There might be some people who've never watched Trek and Discovery is their Trek, you know? And they think, oh, t- original series? I'm like, forget that. That's, not, that's old. You know, I'm not going to watch that. But you get into fans who are more close to our age and maybe we grew up watching it in syndication and things like that and reruns. And, th- and you know, we've grown, you've grown with it. It's hard. It's, it's almost like you compare it to like a sports team, people who are such rabid fans for like a, a sports team. And every little decision that gets made, you know, a new player comes on. Oh, he sucks. You know, he had one. He had one bad game or something. He's terrible. Get him off. You know, trade him immediately. Screw him. You know, <laughs> you walk a tightrope. You know, and it's it's difficult. And these and and to get into kind of the behind the scenes of it, these companies, they spend a lot of time and money in trying to find ways to keep fans engaged. And it's very difficult to do. And and maybe I didn't give Discovery a, a completely fair shake. I did give it two episodes. But at the same time, I'm like, it, it, it could be somebody else's track for, you know, and that's fine. Yeah. No, and I, I, I mean, I, I think that that's a good point that you make, though, comparing it to sports teams, because I think that the same way that people feel so emotionally invested in sports teams, mm-hmm. that I think people feel emotionally invested in Star Trek, which again speaks to its power, but also speaks to, you know, the whole idea of, you know, fans don't behave badly, you know, because you might be, you know tearing down something that other people love and while i feel like i still feel like there's you know it's perfectly fair for people to be critical of something that they don't like you know it's it's one thing to harass people it's a different thing to harass people you know who clearly like the thing and you just won't relent or you know to tear down something when you've only seen one episode which every show i I don't care what show it is uh, there's almost no show where the pilot episode was <laughs> you know what the show turned out to be or the quality level of the rest of the shows just look at sailor moon crystal oh god <laughs> <laughs> it's another podcast also stephanie yeah i don't know i think i'm gonna have some sort of fight to the death for that one because hey, there's like six people blog about sailor moon crystal and that was the most consistent i ever maintained my blog so. right <laughs> So, uh, so Jay, just out of curiosity, because I know Michael and Stephanie have watched The Orville, have you seen The Orville? Yes. I haven't watched it all the way through, though. I'll, I'll be honest. These days, with, with four-year-olds, it does get tough to finish everything. <laughs> <laughs> You're living it. The Orville. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I did, I honestly, I was like, it, that, you know what, it's funny, because that came on at the same time, around the same time as Discovery, and I kind mm-hmm. of... I watched more episodes of that show and I found myself watching more episodes of that show. And I was like, yeah, Seth MacFarlane is, is it's kind of a comedic, but it wasn't all the way comedic. You know, it wasn't so slapsticky. 
you know it wasn't it wasn't family guy in space so i was really surprised because um he's tried to do live action shows in the past and they've all bombed and with this one i felt like he really hit it pretty well and he seemed to have a really uh, like a deep sense of passion for for the project and uh, like it was very close he kept you know kind of close to his to his chest on this one you know or to his vest or however you say that say the term but he seemed very invested in this in this idea and then he didn't want it to be people to compare it to family guy or american dad or whatever other shows his name is slapped on you know he wanted it to be something completely different and it felt that way and it came off that way I just remember thinking it was really funny when the Orville and Discovery were both airing at the same time where I was so confused because I was like, okay, if you want to watch Star Trek, don't watch Star Trek. If you want to watch really good sci-fi, go watch Star Trek. (laughs) It's like the comedic moments. I love Star Trek. I have never considered it to be really good sci-fi. Interesting. Yeah, because I always think Star Trek is more sci-fi. Like I said, because it's so cerebral, I'm like, it's more like a novel. Like, if I read a sci-fi novel, Star mm-hmm. Trek feel, you know, or at least the older Star Treks feel like a novel to me that's been put on television. Whereas, you know, other sci-fis tend to be a lot more, like I say, action-packed, pacey, things like that. So, yeah, I, it's interesting to me that you don't feel like Star Trek is, is really good sci-fi. It's a different thing. Like, I mean, I would never compare any, well, maybe Discovery, but I wouldn't compare those to things like the newer Battlestar Galactica or things like The Expanse or things like that. As I was saying that, though, I did think of SG-1, and that is kind of in the same realm of what I think of as Star Trek sci-fi. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I think you're t- entirely right, Jay. This was a passion product uh, project by Seth MacFarlane, and I can feel his love of Star Trek as I watched the Orville, and I was surprised by how straight-laced it is. Yeah, there are the jokes, but it's also incredibly... Oh, I can't think of the right word for it, but, but there's, there's a lot of devotion to the Star Trek franchise in it. But I think the Orville is more... Looking backwards, it's trying to attract fans of specifically next gen, but even any of the ones in that are, you know, next gen Voyager, sort of that, mm-hmm. you know, era of Star Trek. I mean, Stephanie and Michael, would you agree with that? Oh, certainly. Absolutely. There are some very, very Star Trekky episodes, mm-hmm. like the episode about the gender reassignment. That one totally, totally screamed a classic Star Trek episode and the way they handled the subject matter. Same with the episode about the uh, the ship that had kind of developed its own religion, and that could have been handled so poorly being done by Seth MacFarlane, but it was treated with good respect, and it did take an approach that we're accustomed to of seeing Starfleet dealing with, I think I confused two episodes there, it wasn't the ship, it was the planet that Where developed. Where was the planet, the, yeah. Um, <laughs> I knew what you meant. You knew what episode I meant. Uh, <laughs> They were two individual communities there, whatever. They took a very respectful approach to it and tried their best to fix the mistakes that they had done. And I, I don't know, I thought that it was really, it, it definitely screams next gen at the very least, if not just any older Star Trek. But I do really like the fact that in the pilot episode, we have a throwback to the fact that humans have been drawing penises on walls since Pompeii, at least. And we have that happening in the future, too. (laughs) Yes, that's definitely Seth MacFarlane. (laughs) 
but that's also just human. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's that's where I give give the Orville some credit because it's, it's Seth MacFarlane kind of kind of uh, being a bit more adult in what he's doing. You still get the d- and fart jokes, but you have a lot more thought and respect that goes into what he's doing. But it, it also feels kind of like a, you know eye candy in a sense because it's like next gen already went over all this ground you're you're just recycling plots and and putting a little spin on them and it's fun but it's not really meaty you know yeah to me and i don't know if this will mean anything to any of you guys but there was basically a fracture in dungeons and dragons fandom at one point where dungeons and dragons the actual brand went to from what they called 3.5 edition to fourth edition and they basically tried to you know do things streamline the game they tried to sort of you know push things forward to that next generation and attract people who might you know find D a little too slow paced or whatever and because of that fracture there was another game that spawned off called pathfinder which is basically just 3.5 with a few twists and bells and whistles thrown on it. So, you know, there's no uh, copyright infringement going on there. And I feel like that's kind of what we've come to with the Star Trek Discovery and Orville episode, eras era here, where, you know, we kind of have the Star Trek brand trying to push forward into something new, whereas the Orville is like, hey, you know, I mean, people were perfectly happy with what they had. Let's just continue to create new content in that style. I can agree with that entirely, but I'm actually really glad that we have both of them going right now, and that both of them have been renewed for second seasons. Mm-hmm. I completely agree on that one. I mean, it, it's good to see this kind of sci-fi back on the air. It just there's that one little spot in the back of my brain. It's like, why are we recycling? <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, there's that spot right next to it that's like, oh, shut up! This is fun, and you know it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to know how Fox gets away without being sued. Because in some cases, they're actually using, I, I swear, they're the exact sound effects from, ne- like, the door chimes are the exact sound effects from Next Gen. That intro is the Voyager intro. <laughs> Even though the ship doesn't look, this. I mean, the, the ship obviously looks different. They don't have the nacelle design and, you know, such. So, you know, they definitely went a different route there. Is it enough parody? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how they're getting away with it. I mean, they don't have transporters, but they're they're infringing on so many other things, I would Seth think. McFarlane is just throwing enough money around? <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> I'm like, if they were worried about Axanar, I'm like, this is a show where people are actually saying, like, hey, I'm watching Dis- uh, uh, Orville instead of Discovery. You know, you would think that they'd be going after that, but they're not. And I'm wondering what kind of legal loophole they're able to exploit, because it seems like infringement to me. <laughs> I I actually wonder, I noticed on like the second or third episode that the title card went from The Orville to Fox Presents The Orville. Mm. And I think they may have had to throw that on there for some sort of legal thing like, okay, we're, you know, this isn't Star Trek. We recognize it isn't Star Trek. <laughs> Right, but but I I don't next know. Next season, it'll open up with not Star Trek the <laughs> <laughs> I did want to say one thing about that show too, in that it can be funny, it can be deep at moments, and then it can also touch on social issues or topics of the day. But it doesn't beat you over the head with it. It entertains you at the same time, which you have to have some talent to pull that off these days in a TV show. It felt like Discovery was kind of. At least the first two episodes to me felt like kind of fan pandering a little bit. You know, we got to say this, we got to say that, we got to make sure we we you know have Mention a Spock. Mention five times every five minutes. Yeah, that's a, we have to we have to have Spock's dad in there at some point. You know, make sure. 
people are aware, you know, fan service, kind of paying fan service. Whereas the Orville didn't seem to care so much about that. It was just, here's a show. It's, it's much like Star Trek, but we're not going to beat you over the head with the tropes. We're not going to beat you over the head with, with the same old, you know? Well, they can't use characters from Star Trek, that's so they're true. limited in that <laughs> yeah, but respect. they sure can use actors. Right. Yes, that's true. And directors. Yeah, yeah that too. <laughs> Producers, sound effects. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, yeah, so, I mean, you, you guys are kind of with me, though, that we're kind of glad that we have both versions at the same time, oh, right? Definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, we're, we're getting uh, pretty long here, so I just wanted to wrap things up, but I wanted to give everybody one last chance if there's anything about Star Trek, uh, you know, as a, as a franchise, uh, or, you know, in particular, just one, one little thing from one of the shows, whatever, that you wanted to comment on before we signed out. Why do they kill Data? <laughs> well, okay. All right. <laughs> I'll comment on this one because eh, even though we're probably going to talk about it again in the next gen one, <laughs> I, I feel like that was the biggest cop out in history though, because if they're going to kill data, don't introduce B4 because I feel like they thought, well, if we do another movie, we'll just have it that suddenly B4 like integrates all of data's memories that had been uploaded into him and suddenly and B4 Jordan will become enough to make him normal right, or whatever. right and then then suddenly B4 will just become data and so I felt it was cheap to just get a knee-jerk reaction out of the audience and I was more upset by the fact that there was this replacement already there than I would have been if they just killed him off Honestly, that might actually be what part of why it's always ticked me off so much, and I just never really thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> There's just it. always been something really sour about how they handled Data, and oh, Data's my favorite next gen character too. So of course I'm bitter, but <laughs> but that's a, far, a really good point. I never thought of before, Nathan. You give it far more credit than I do because I just look at it and say, why do they make Nemesis? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that too, but I, I gotta say, all I remember is Data dying. <laughs> I guess unpopular opinion. I actually prefer Nemesis to Insurrection, but that's a whole other. <laughs> Honestly, I don't remember Insurrection much either. <laughs> and we'll the thing we'll is, talk I've about that in the next gen podcast. Multiple times, and I can't remember anything about them. They just blur together. Yep. Voyage home for life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just had to throw that grenade in there. All right. Um... <laughs> All right. Michael, how about you? Did you have uh, something else you wanted to comment on with Star Trek? Uh, one of the best hours of television I have ever seen is uh, the DS9 episode, In the Pale Moonlight. Mm. That is a phenomenal piece of writing and a phenomenal piece of cinematography. And I just... I'm terrible at episode titles. Which one was that? That is the one where, where Cisco drags the Romulans into the, the Dominion War by oh, yes. betraying everything he has. And like, can I live with it? Yeah, I can live with it. <laughs> yes, that is a phenomenal episode. I love that one. Oh, God, just, yeah, the way that that ends there with him deleting the log and everything of what he had just been talking about, and it's just like, after he had said, like, he can live with it, it's just like, yeah, I was like, wow, this is like Star Trek graduating to a whole other level. Yeah. And that is part of why I think DS9 is the best Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think the only failing with DS9 is uh, the fact that they didn't, they didn't accomplish what they set out to do. The The emissary starts out, the, the first episode of the series starts out with, you know, your mission at, at DS9 is to bring Bajor into the Federation. 
And then it turns into that whole battle with the Pa race and, and everything else. And Bajor never comes to the Federation. And so I think that's the only thing that, the only problem I have with DS9. Other than that, that I absolutely it. Uh, to a point, yeah. I, I hate how Jadzia went out. So I, I like Ezri, but I, I can't stand out how Jadzia went out. Yeah, no, that's a good point about Bajor not getting into the Federation. Yeah, that's definitely something for me to ruminate on before I get into it. It never bothered <laughs> me that much, but I, I, I can see your point on that. Yeah, I'm with you on that, Nathan. It never really bothered me much, but now that you've pointed it out, Michael, I think it might bother me. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Good thing it's not my favorite track. It's just the best track. Right. <laughs> yeah, I will never disagree that DS9 is the best track. <laughs> Jay, uh, so uh, what about you? Do you have something that we haven't talked about that you'd like to talk about with Star Trek? Well, I am a little disappointed that, that we probably won't get any more movies, you know. I kind of feel like, you know, the movies bring a whole other aspect to the franchise. And whether you, you love them or you don't, you know, they, there's still parts of them that still... It's it's fun when a new movie, when the new movies come out. I did like Beyond a lot more than Into Darkness. <laughs> but it, it it's... I don't think we're going to get any more new movies, especially with the show out. And that, that kind of... You know, uh, I like the movies, you know, love them or hate them. They're still fun to watch. No question there. I've wanted a DS9 reunion movie so badly. <laughs> I, uh, well, and here's the thing, because somebody was telling me, well, you know, DS9 didn't have enough of a following, you know, they're probably not going to get a movie. And so I came up with this idea for a DS9 Voyager fusion movie so that we could throw both casts at it. And because basically it's like, okay, so what are the Voyager crew experts at? They're experts at the Borg. And you can so, sort of almost conceive of if the Borg were going to threaten Bajor, that Cisco could reappear to sort of like be like the herald of, hey, stuff's about to go down, we need to prepare. And, you know, you can kind of see like the whole idea coalesce around that as a movie concept. And I'm just really disappointed that, you know, we're never going to get to see those crews again. I'm sure we'll get another Star Trek movie at some point, whether or not it's the same, you know, cast right. with Chris Pine and whatnot. Someday we'll have another Star Trek movie. But yeah, it's it's not going to be a DS9 or, or Voyager movie. And you know what? You never know because in this age of reboots and remakes, they could recast that whole and do a DS9 movie or something and just recast everybody you know? yeah. years from now. I'm not, I don't mean right now, but I mean maybe like several years from now they could be like, hey, we'll just we'll throw a DS9 movie out there. We'll see what happens. We'll put it on Netflix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's true i mean but yeah i mean i, I guess i was talking about because one of the things that's great about those original star trek movies is it's a little different with next gen because they went straight into doing the movies is mm -hmm. that with the original series movies it feels like hey this is old friends coming back together again you get yeah. that sort of feeling of we're getting the band back together and you get that sort of nostalgia factor. And that's something that I would have liked from like a DS9 movie because everybody kind of went their separate ways at the end of that series mm -hmm. to have everybody have to come back together. With Voyager, it's more of they never did like a sort of final episode to show what happened once they got back to Earth. And for Voyager, it was more of I want to know what happened. You know, like how did things yeah. end out and, and you know... Did Tom ever, you know, reconcile with his dad? And, you know, how did the former Maquis crew fare? And, you know, all that did kind of Chakotay stuff. Did Chakotay and Seven really actually like each other? <laughs> no. <laughs> did, did Janeway really want to be in love with the holodeck man? Or once she had, like, real people around again, did she? <laughs> 
<sighs> anyway. Well, you know, just throw that in there. When they did Enterprise, that one of their intentions was for it to become a movie. What they were going to do, that was going to be the next Star Trek movie franchise, too. If you watch any of the special features, they mention that, and it just never, it never coalesced into that. Yeah? I really like your idea, though, Nathan, for, like, the Borg coming to Bajor, and you get the Cisco back, and... I'm really disappointed that nobody has called him the Cisco in the whole two hours we've been talking. Right. <laughs> huh? Well, we I don't think we referred to him by name until you just did it. So yeah, it's it's the Cisco. It's always the Cisco. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I I yeah, I, I would love to see a, a movie like that. That's a fun fan theory. Yeah, a fan idea. But uh, yeah, I mean, for me, Star Trek's. I don't know. I mean, it, it's just. It's been such a part of my life for so long. It's funny, like kind of like what you're saying, Stephanie, that uh, you know, like uh, DS9 is the best Trek, but it's not your favorite Trek. For me, Star Trek the franchise, it's not my favorite franchise, but I can't really deny, like you know, how big of a franchise that it's oh, been, how yeah. popular, how many different ways it can be spun. I mean, versatility and just staying power and all that kind of stuff. I mean, Star Trek is you know like it's almost the best franchise i'm, I'm sure i'll get death okay. threats from saying that but uh <laughs> star trek is in my blood right exactly and so you know i love it to death i mean it's it's definitely in my top five franchises for sure and you know it's it's something that i would like with a series of podcasts to sort of and my hope would be that people don't just listen to it because they're already fans and have seen all the Star Treks, I would like people to sort of participate and maybe try one of the Star Treks they haven't tried, you know, uh, sort of dip in. And if you don't mind some mild spoilers, yeah, we'll, we'll have a few of those. But, you know, maybe you'll hear something that makes you say, well, maybe I should, you know, watch this one. Because I, I know a lot of people came in with the Kelvin movies, but, you know, Star Trek's a lot more than those movies, you know. Yeah. And so maybe there is something that can hook you in one of the shows. So, yeah, I mean, just stuff like that. And there's so many people I know who watch Next Gen, but then they never watch DS9 or Voyager or, or any of those other ones. So I think that Trek has, I, I think that there's a lot more for Trek to offer than any one show. So, yeah, I would like to, uh, you know, uh, sort of, I guess, <laughs> get the word of Trek out there. I don't know. It sounds a little vaguely <laughs> religious, but... <laughs> <laughs> but for some people, I think Trek is kind of religious. <laughs> Excuse me, can I can I offer you uh, the words of wisdom of our Lord and Savior Jean Luc Picard? <laughs> Make it so. Hey, Earl <laughs> I do have two bookshelves of Star Trek books, so I guess I'm more than a casual fan, anyway. <laughs> All right, but uh, yeah, so so with all that, though, um, I think it's time we got to wrap things up, even though I'm sure we can all talk about Star Trek a lot more. And each of you will get at least one more opportunity to talk Star Trek, because I know I've scheduled the episode, or I've created the episode, so <laughs> it'll happen. But Jay, why don't uh, you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you online? All right, uh, have a wonderful time listening to this podcast. I'm glad that I can be on here. And you can find me on Twitter. Its uh, handle is uh, at J underscore Scardina, S-C-A-R-D-I-N-A. And uh, I post on there every once in a while. It was good to have you uh, on the show finally, Jay. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. All right, Michael, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you online? 
Well, thank you so much for having me. This is a, this is a blast. I do enjoy talking about Star Trek, and uh, especially with fans who, who share the same passion. So you can find me online. I do my uh, my podcasting through the Chronic Rift Network. That's at www.chronicrift.com. Uh, my show there is the weekly Podioplex, where I discuss movie news, look at some, some box office performances, what's going on on your uh, home entertainment, that kind of thing. I do that every every week. But you also find me weekly on the Timestamps Project, where I'm watching Doctor Who from the very beginning of the franchise and reviewing each of those tales. And it varying degrees of detail. Started out as a small thing, and now it's gotten a lot larger. Uh, right, as I mentioned earlier, through uh, about midway through the 23rd season with uh, Trial of the Time Lord and the Sixth Doctor. So it's it's been quite the adventure. That's at uh, creativecriticality.wordpress.com. And thank you for being on the podcast today, Michael. It's good to have you. Thank you. I appreciate it. No problem. And Stephanie, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Well, I'm really excited that you thought of me to be on all of the Star Trek podcasts. And it'll be so nice, like reliving the days when I still lived in Milwaukee and you and I would just, Beth would gloss over while the two of us (laughs) went into massive Star Trek fandom. I know, it's so awful because, yeah, we would just start talking and Beth would just kind of be there like, hi. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, of course, of course I thought of you for this, because I was like, oh yeah, who, who else loves Star Trek as much as I do? Oh, Stephanie, that's right, we've had many conversations. <laughs> so thank you very much, that means a lot to me that you thought of me for you're that. You're welcome. But you're still going to make me fight for my position on the Sailor Moon one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll figure out a way to make sure everybody gets to show their love of Sailor Moon. <laughs> Anyways, I kind of go through spurts of where I'm actually active on social media that anybody could find me on and not. I think the last time I did a podcast with you, I was very active and right now I'm kind of in a slump. But if you want to follow me someplace for uh, when I happen to pick up again, because it always happens every few months, I'm massively into my social media and then I'm not again. And then it's back. You can find me on Twitter as Alcrea. A-L-K-R-E-A. Instagram, I'm Lady Elkrea. Pretty much anywhere that there's a social media presence, you'll find me as either Elkrea or Lady Elkrea. And if you want to check out my Sailor Moon vlog that I did mention earlier, it's a little bit defunct now, but if you watch Crystal and you want to see my take on it, uh, you can find that on YouTube as Elkrea Vision. Now, did you go through all of the Crystal episodes all the way through the third season also with that? I haven't done the third season yet. I recently got it on Blu-ray. I'm contemplating doing a splurge. Hey, look at me. I've disappeared forever, but (laughs) hey, I finally am doing the third arc here. (laughs) Yeah, because I didn't think I'd seen you posting about it when the third season was coming out. Yeah, I got really sick around the time the third season premiered, Mm. and I kind of fell behind on doing the, the vlogs. So... I'm really considering pulling myself out of my little YouTube retirement, so to speak, and finally getting those out there just because I, I'm surprised I still have people who occasionally message me, hey, what happened to your reviews? <laughs> I'm like, okay, maybe I should find the time to do this. But first, I got to find the time to do it. All so. right. Well, it is great to have you on all these Star Trek podcasts, and I look forward to you being part of, of this series, which hopefully you won't drop out of. Well, at least this has other people in it that'll make sure I don't drop out of it. All right. (laughs) And that's it for our 50th anniversary Star Trek podcast. It's only three years too late and only one year after we recorded. (laughs) I would like to thank Stephanie uh, for joining me as a co-host for these Star Trek episodes. 
it's going to be good, I think, to have someone else that I can sort of bounce things off of and who's sort of a steady figure on the podcast as we build things up and have other guests join us. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And I'd also like to thank Michael and Jay again for contributing to the discussion. It's really great having a bunch of longtime Star Trek fans on where we can really discuss all things Trek. And, uh, of course, we could have gone a lot longer, but that's why we are going to have our specific episodes. We've already done one on Discovery Season 1, but we're going to do podcasts that cover the entirety of the original series, Next Gen, DS9, etc. And so, uh, watch for that. A couple of them have already been recorded. So, as always, uh, you can leave us feedback, let us know what you think, let us know if you like this direction of having a series of episodes that cover certain topics. We've already done our Get to Know Your Doctor series, started that off, now we're starting off this Star Trek series, and we're going to have another series, which I'm going to kind of keep the lid on for now, but if you watch this space, you'll see something else come up fairly soon, I think. But if you want to give us feedback, let us know what you think about, you know, topics, cast, anything, then email us at everything at 42cast.com. Drop us a line on the website at 42cast.com. You can comment on Facebook at facebook.com slash 42cast. You can tweet to us at at 42cast. So there's so many ways to do that. You can also support us by supporting the ESO Patreon. That's a way where you can give some money to contribute to the running of the network, which supports all the different shows on the network, not just the 42Cast. And you will get access to exclusive episodes of podcasts from across the network. So there's some value there, definitely. There's definitely some value to helping us stay on the air. So look into it if you can. Once again, I'd like to thank Ben for being such a great help that's allowed me to work on a lot of these episodes and get them out. And while he's also working on episodes and getting those out, so between the two of us, we've resumed a regular podcasting schedule, which has me excited because we've got so many good episodes in the backlog. There's so many ideas for episodes that I want to do, but I haven't recorded them because I knew that we were behind and it just didn't make sense to add even more episodes when we were so far behind. So as we clear things away, we're going to record more and the show should just keep chugging along now. That's it for our Star Trek podcast this week. Join us back next week when Eric Leewald will be joining us. That's right, Eric Leewald and his wife Julia will be joining us to talk about their work, script editing, X-Men the Animated Series, as well as their book previously on the X-Men. I've read the book. It is a very interesting read, especially if you're a fan of that cartoon. So definitely tune in next week, download next week, whatever the terminology is, and give that a listen. But until then, this is Nathan wishing you peace and long life and to live long and prosper. You have been listening to the 42 cast copyright 2019. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42 cast.com. Theme music is sharper swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. The 42Cast is a proud member of the ESO Network. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon 
or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.